Well, good morning. Good to see you here this morning, Summit Church, Facebook Live. Glad you're able to join us today for a wonderful time together. Hey, listen, just a couple of uh, housekeeping <clears throat> notes. This Sunday, next Sunday coming up, <clears throat> we're going to be having our Christmas service. We will be coming, and that will be our Christmas kind of Eve Christmas service all together. We're going to have communion and candlelight and perhaps some kids singing. It's going to be just a wonderful time for the family at our normal 9 o'clock, 11 o'clock times there at the Alabama Music Hall. I encourage you to join us if you can for that. And uh, if you can't, we understand. Uh, but uh, bless you, and thanks for uh, uh, being with us online today. You know, when we think of Christmas, what we think of many, many times, I know as a kid, was gifts, right? You think of um, some boxes, some things wrapped up. And, and when you're young, all you think about is, you know, everything you're going to get, right? But as you're older, as you get a little bit older, you, you start thinking about others, not so much even yourself. In fact, at Christmas time, we are at our home, at the Wilson home, we unwrap gifts after we read the Christmas story every every Christmas day. We, it's the first thing we got to do. And of course, I just kind of have, have some little fun with the kids and I drag out that Christmas story as long as I can. And they're like getting so frustrated. And uh, yeah, I find the version of the Bible that has like the most words, you know, uh, describing the story just frustrates them. Anyway, we have a good time, but I just enjoy watching them open up all those gifts. And um, that, that that wasn't the case years ago. I was right there in it, just digging to find those little gifts that uh, perhaps were, were for me. And so we think of that. And you know, I was funny. I was driving down the road. Our kids were smaller. And uh, my oldest daughter said, Dad, I need some paper. I need some paper. And so we dug around for some paper in the car. And I handed her a piece of paper. And I said, what you writing down? She goes, I'm writing down my Christmas list. I said, oh, you're writing down your list of all the things you're going to buy people? She goes, no, I'm writing down all the things people are going to buy for me. <laughs> it's just kind of the way things are. But anyway, we're in this series called God With Us. And yes, uh, last Sunday, we talked about uh, you know Joseph and his perspective of the Christmas story, what it looked like for him, and and some things we could have learned from Joseph's own life. It was a, it was a great little study. I encourage you to go back and listen to that. But today I want to talk to you about the wise men. You know, the guys on the camel, on the little Christmas card, you know, with the star in the background. And today we want to talk about just kind of maybe who they were and, and maybe why did God choose them to travel to see Jesus and perhaps what they did with this revelation that they got from God. So let's go to Matthew chapter 2. Let's read a little bit. In chapter 2, verse 1, And after Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and they asked, Where is the one who's been born King of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. And when King Herod heard this, he was disturbed and all Jerusalem with him. When he had called together all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them where this Messiah was to be born. Uh, in Bethlehem in Judea, they replied. For this is what the prophet has written, but you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah or Judea, uh, by, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. And then Herod called the Magi secretly and found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem and said, now listen, 
Y'all go search that child out carefully, and as soon as you find him, you report it back to me so I, I too, can go and worship him. And after they heard the king, they went on their way, and the star they had seen when it rose ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. And when they saw the star, they were overjoyed. And coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down, and they worshiped him. And they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold and frankincense and myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another route. So, interesting story. Uh, a story that we're familiar with probably, heard it said or sung about. We three kings of Orient are. Um, and, and these wonderful little songs and carols. And, but really, who were these wise men? Let's talk about that for just a second. They came from the east. So more than likely, they came from a country called Babylon. During that time, Bab well, actually 600 years before, Babylon had taken the Jewish nation as captives and took many of them, especially their scholarly people, back with them to their capital in, in their Babylon. And so there was a huge contingency of Jewish people in Babylon. So conjecture is that perhaps these wise men came from Babylon. Perhaps they themselves were Jewish uh, descendants. Uh, perhaps maybe some of these wise men were related to Daniel or Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Remember that story. That's where they, that all took place. And they, 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 they came, and, and, um, and, and they, they came because they saw a star. They were stargazers. They were astrologers, astronomers, and back in that time, we didn't have science. They didn't have scientists. They didn't have laboratories and things like that. The closest to a scientist would be an astrologer, astronomer, mixed together kind of type thing. They they were people that studied the stars. Um, they they looked intently and looked at the formations and uh, and all the types of formations of stars, including even the planets. and And they studied them and. Um, and, and, and realize that a lot of what goes on even in the earth right now um, has a lot to do with the heavenly um, stars and planets. In fact, you ask any hunter or fisherman and they will tell you that the moon itself has incredible power uh, over just creation itself. That, that if you want to find uh, when the animals will be feeding in the forest, uh, go to look at the moon. And when it's high noon, actually not the noon, when it's high moon, then the, usually you'll find the animals out feeding. Um, when it's not, they're, they're, they're more slow, more uh, sleeping. Perhaps you look at the fishing, you go to fishing and look at the waves coming in, the high tide, low tide, all controlled by the moon. So they realize that what goes on in the heavenlies has some kind of influence on what goes on in the earth. Some took it too far. They started worshiping the moon, things like that. But these were not those kind of men. They just believed that there were some things going on that were signs, perhaps, uh, maybe even to them. And we'll get into that in a minute. But they followed the patterns of these stars religiously. And we know that these men were highly esteemed by the people uh, of power uh, in the political realm at that time, since they were the smartest people 
of the hour, since they were studied and learned men, uh, since they knew um, what types of things may or may not happen as a result of what was happening with the moon, the sun, things like that. They were always considered counselors, or if you would, the cabinet members of the leaders of the nations of that hour. Every leader had some magi, some kind of, you know, scientists, if you would, as a counselor for them in their presence. And so perhaps these were who they were, and we believe that's exactly really who they were. So why did God choose them? Why did God choose these men? What was significant about them? Well, I can just say this about them. We don't know a whole lot, but we do know that they were doing the best they could to find God. They were just trying to figure some things out. Have you ever been in that situation? Perhaps you're there now. You're just trying to figure some things out. I don't understand everything that's going on. I don't know what's happening but I'm just trying to figure some things out. I'm trying to make sense of a few things that's happening in my world. And they were desperate to find truth. These, these, these individuals, these men, really wanted to know what truth was, and more importantly, what truth looked like for them in their generation and in their time. And whatever the cost was going to be, they would— They were willing to pay that price in order to find God's purpose for them. These particular men somehow had received from God a revelation. And I'm telling you, if you are a truth seeker, these things happen. When you are seeking God with all of your heart, when you are hungering after the Lord, God will begin to show up. They somehow begin to realize that what they were seeing in the heavenlies had everything to do with what God wanted to do in the earth. <laughs> kind of sounds like what Jesus said when we pray, thy kingdom come on earth as it is in the heavens. Come on. And so they began to see something in the heavens that they felt like had incredible weight for them in the earth. They began to sense that something powerful and significant, life-altering, time-changing, was right on the cusp in their lifetime and in the heavens, and that perhaps God was trying to redeem humanity. These men were no doubt familiar with scriptures. They were no doubt some kind of um, people that knew what the Word of God was saying, even relating it to the heavenlies. In fact, it says in Isaiah chapter 60, which they would have been familiar with because Isaiah had been written years ago, Arise, shine, for your light has come, and the glory of the Lord rises upon you. Nations will come to your light, kings to the brightness of your dawn. Herds of camels will cover your land, young camels of Midian Ephah. And all of Sheba will come bearing gold and incense and proclaiming the praises of the Lord. I believe these magi, these wise men, read that and went, that's us. Have you ever read the Bible and said, that's me? 
That's what I love about the scripture. It's alive. It's 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 present in the everyday moment. It's it's not like a book that's stale and stagnant. It has no truth. It's full of truth, and it and it comes alive to you in the moment. They would have been familiar with Balaam's prophecy in Numbers chapter 24, where Balaam's prophesying over this nation called Israel that was coming out of Egypt. And they would have read these words, I see him, but not now. I behold him, but not near. A star will come out of Jacob, and a scepter will rise out of Israel. A star. I mean, they're, 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 these are... These are people study, <clears throat> studying the stars, and they, they're reading about a star that's going to appear, they're going to rise or talk. They, they, they hear about camels and frankincense and gold uh, and, and, and bringing gifts and rising, and, and suddenly, out of nowhere perhaps, comes this star, this constellation. We don't know. No one even knows what it was. Perhaps some have conjectured it was like the Bethlehem star we're going to be seeing in December 21st, the Saturn and Jupiter, the two largest uh, planets in, in, the world, uh, in the universe, coming kind of close together uh, and, and creating like a double planet type of scenario. They, they don't know exactly what it was, but something happened. And it really is the star isn't, isn't that important. It, it, is, it, it is what you're going to do with the star, right? And so they notice the star. It stirs something up within them. And I just want to just take a moment and just say this. <clears throat> In the book of Romans, chapter 1, because people ask you this question, perhaps they've, they've asked, several people have asked you this, oh, what about people in the world that have never heard about God, uh, that don't know and never heard about Jesus? What, 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 what will God do with that when it comes to Judgment Day. Uh, <clears throat> I, I can't tell you what God's going to do on Judgment Day. Uh, but I can tell you this. Here's what Scripture says in Romans chapter 1. For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, His eternal power, divine nature, has been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made, so that people are without excuse. What is he saying? He's saying that even if you never knew anything about God or Jesus or the Son of God, if you were just a person living in the world and you knew nothing spiritually, all you had to do is look up and take notice of everything in the world, and you are without excuse to not come to the conclusion that there is one God, that a divine designer that created everything, a maker. Mm. To believe anything else is absolute foolishness. <laughs> and so I, I, and so people, God has used that for, for years, and he speaks divinely. I, I, I recall a story I read years ago, and what a powerful event. Uh, back in the 1800s, Britain had acquired a nation over on the other side of India called Burma. And they wanted to know more about this nation that they've acquired, so they sent an explorer, if you would, kind of like a, uh, a Lewis and Clark kind of, they did a, like a little expedition through the country to kind of get a feel of this new nation that they had it now access to. And, and so they sent this man, and 
he came into a particular village and he had a journey. He was journaling his whole journey. And, and, and he came into this village and the village came, swarmed around him, caught him off guard and his interpreter, and swarmed around and pressed in upon him and started talking very fast to him. And, and he said to his interpreter, what's going on? What's happening? And the interpreter said, they're asking you, where is the black box? Where's the black box? And he goes, I have no idea what you're talking about. This is scaring me. Let's get out of here. And so they, they left as fast as they arrived. And he, so he wrote this in his journals when he got back to Britain in England. And, um, and one, somebody was reading his journals. Uh, and it was a Christian man. And the Lord spoke to this Christian man and said, go back to that community. I want to use you in that community. He didn't know anything about that village or the people or anything really about the country, but he did. He obeyed the Lord, got up, kind of like the old Magi did, went to that particular village, walked in with an interpreter into that village. Again, all the people surrounded him, pressed in upon him, and they said, where's the black book or box? And that's what he realized. It was a, not a box. It was a book. And he pulled out his Bible, and he said, this is the black book, the black box. He said, he said to them, why do you want to know where this black box is? And they said, because our chief's father, the other chief, the, the former, the great chief before him, had had a vision. And his vision was that there would be a man with white skin that would come into their village and he would carry a black box. And when that man walked into our village, he would tell us where the source of life is. Isn't that amazing? That God, and, and so he, he shared the gospel with him right there. And the entire village, every single person in that village ended up giving their total heart to Jesus and to the Lord. An entire village saved, prepared by the Lord because why? God speaks in incredible ways all around the world. We got to move on. So these magi, what did they do with this revelation? In Matthew chapter 2, verse 2, it says that they entered into Jerusalem, and what a stir that they made. And as they had entered into Jerusalem, they started asking pe people questions there in the city. They, they asked them, hey, where is this this, this child who's been born the king of the Jews. And the people in Jerusalem are like, what are you talking about? What, 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 I mean, they're asking the merchants, perhaps. They're asking, they went down to the stable, asking the, the, the you know, the, the people who work there. They're, you know, they go to the different marketplace. Where's the king? Where's this savior? Where's this, 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 this king that's, that's to, that was been born to, to you all? And they have no idea what he's talking about. It creates a stir and time. The whole city's in an uproar. Like, what is going on? These magi have come in. From this this group of incredible wise men have come from the east, and they're wanting to know where this king is. I mean, he gets the king's attention. He calls them in. What are y'all talking about? And the Bible says, "For we had," they said, "For we have seen the star in the east, and we've come to worship him." Three things: they saw, they came, and they worshipped. That's what they did. That's what you do. That's what I do with the revelation of Christ in me, the hope of glory. Can you imagine these wise men telling their wives, saying, look, sweetheart, um, 
You know that group of guys that I meet with uh, <laughs> on Thursdays? You know, we study the stars and stuff. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, we, we, we're going to take a trip. Um, and, um, yeah, we're going to take it. What are you talking about, take a trip? I, I don't know. There's a star that has shown up that has never, ever existed in all of our journals, in all of our studies. We've never seen this star, but it has shown up. And we have, we've been reading the book of Daniel. You haven't been reading the book of Daniel again, have you, honey? Oh, I've told you to stay away from that book. Oh, my gosh. What? In the and so here they go. I, we're going we're gonna to take a trip. We've all decided we're going to take a trip. Now, now, listen, we don't know there were three wise men. We don't know how many wise men there were. Some say there were three because there were three gifts, but there could have been five, ten, twenty or more wise men. It wasn't just perhaps just three. And so so can you imagine this group of, of men? And he says to his wife, hey, listen, um, by the way, I just need to tell you this. I kind of emptied out our savings account. Um, what? Yeah, I'm going to take it with me as, a, as an offering, as a gift to this, to this little baby. What? To, you're going to go travel? How long are you going to be gone? I, I don't know. Is months? Maybe a year or two? I, I, we don't know. We, we're just following the star. But we believe, sweetheart, that when, when that star, as it leads us, it's going to lead us to the Messiah, to, to God's answer in the earth. Oh, man, what a conversation. That would have been a hard sell for your wife. But they did. They saw it, and guess what? They came. In other words, they did something with what they were feeling and sensing. You know, in my walk with the Lord, I, I tell you this, I, I haven't, it's very few times I know exactly what God wants to do. I'll be honest. But I sense God moving. I sense God stirring. I sense God um, impressing upon me to move in a particular direction. It's amazing. If you will follow those impressions, as faint as they may seem, you will discover this incredible journey with God that's available to you. God said, again, I've said this more than I can remember. James 4, 8, draw near to me, and I will draw near to you. It's, 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 it's stepping out in faith. They, they saw, and they began to make a journey. They made plans. They, they took a, an impression that they felt convicted about in their heart, and they made it a reality. They, they, they gathered their camels together. They gathered their gifts together. They gathered their supplies together. And they, and, and they just set out on this exciting journey, just following a star. I mean, no roadmap, no nothing, just following a star. If it was in Babylon where they came from, that's an 800-mile journey on a camel. It took them months you know, perhaps a year. It took them a long time to get to where they were going. They were just following the star. That's all they were doing. They saw and they came, which tells me that it's important that we take one step at a time. And, and listen, these guys weren't, they, they weren't special people. They weren't the relatives of Jesus. They weren't the relatives of, of Joseph. They weren't priests. They weren't, they weren't prophets. They, they weren't special anybody. They were just people that wanted truth. And they said, we're going to get it, and we're going to travel and find it, and we're going to go one step at a time, just once every day. They'd get on their camel, and they would head out, and then they would go, they would stop, 
and then they would sleep, and they would get up, and they would get on their camel, and away they go. And they were traveling through cities, through different cities and provinces and, and nations, and they're every day one step. Can I just tell you, really the journey of Christ is just one step at a time. It's just getting up, taking another step, and doing the same thing tomorrow as you did today, but just being faithful in it. I, I love the story about Fred McFeely Rogers. You know who he is? You know who he is. We, we know him as Mr. Rogers. Remember Mr. Rogers? In 1968, he started his 33-year career on television doing the same thing every day. Walks in the door, singing his stupid little song. Remember that? Come on. Walks in the door, opens the closet, pulls, out, takes a suit jacket off, puts a, grabs a sweater, puts a sweater on, singing the whole time. Walks down a few steps, sits down on a little, little whatever you know, seat, and he takes off his uh, dress shoes and puts on his little sneakers and ties them up, singing this crazy stupid little sing song. Won't you be? Won't you please? Please won't you be my neighbor. I hated that song. But you know what? Mr. Rogers' career was incredible. It was stellar. He's got a little star, actually, in the Hollywood Hall of Fame on the sidewalk there. And you know what was about him that was so stellar? That he was faithful every day, doing the same thing every day. And when the show, at the end of every show, he would say this. He would end every show by saying these words. Uh, you, basically, you can depend on my. You can depend on me. I, I'm going to be here again t tomorrow. That's what kids needed. They. It wasn't so much about him doing a little puppet show. It was about him being there for him again tomorrow, and the next day, doing the same thing. A dad coming home from work, wanting to spend time with his children. That was what was so powerful about Mr. Rogers. Can I say, there's something about redundant faithfulness. There's something about passionate longevity because it brings the best out of you over a sustained length of time. And it takes time. It takes time to build trust. It takes time to build a solid reputation. It takes time to hone down a skill set. It's just repetition. And these wise men, this is the this is what the strength that they had. They 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 were going to see this thing through. They didn't turn around halfway and say, you know, this is stupid. This is ludicrous. This, what are we doing? Man, I miss I miss my family. I, I'm I'm going back. No, they just kept trudging along, with nothing more other than just a a glimpse of a star in front of them. Hmm. Discovery comes from redundant faithfulness. Truth is uncovered from passionate longevity. And so they took their journey, and then the third part, they saw, they came, and they worshiped. They worshiped. When they got there, at the end of their journey, hmm, one thing they were longing to do the whole time was I have to worship this young Messiah. I have to worship. They didn't come to get an interview. They didn't come to talk to the parents. They didn't come to get some kind of an idea of, of you know, scripture or what. They came simply to worship. 
just to be in the presence of the future Messiah, the answer to all of life's ills and problems. They came to see and lay their own eyes on God's provision for mankind. The, 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 literally the pivotal moment of all of our history, they were privileged to be able to lay their eyes upon that. And they came. Can you imagine what it would have been like? Mary's in there making bread. She hears the dogs barking outside. There's a commotion going on. Uh, what in the world? She hears a knock. She picks up baby Jesus, puts, her, puts him on her hip because he's not just a little tiny baby now. He's perhaps one or close to two years old almost now. And she puts the baby on her hip. She opens the door. And to her surprise, in front of her little house, all up and down the street are nothing but beautiful camels with boxes and cargo-looking things on top of them. And, and in front of her are this contingency of, of men dressed up in ornate robes and beautiful, exquisite turbans. And they're holding gifts. And they bow down in the dirty dust of that street there in that little town of Bethlehem, and they began to worship this little baby. And they said, we cannot believe we have found the Messiah. And Mary knows in her heart what they're talking about. She knows everything. She, they have no idea what she has already experienced, the dreams she's had, the angel visitations, this incredible experience of the Holy Spirit conceiving this child. They have no idea of the story that she knows, and she's putting all this together. She's like, oh, this is too much for me, and, and they're worshiping this little baby. They're worshiping. See, when, when you really, really find out what God is to you, all you want to do is you want to worship. What is worship? You want to give. You want to give praise. You want to give thanksgiving. And if you can, you want to give gifts because you are storing up eternal treasures. <laughs> you're, 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 because our lives are spiritual, not physical. We're, yes, we have physical bodies, but we have spiritual, we're spiritual beings. And, and so everything about us is spiritual. And so they, they, these wise men came and they had the spiritual moment where they're worshiping the Lord because they didn't see just a baby. They saw down the road where this baby would grow up and somehow deliver the sins of the world. That's what they saw. They were worshiping something that was about to happen down the road. And they gave him gifts. And can I just begin to close here with this? They gave him gifts, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Some of the most valuable items in the world at that time. And basically, they just said, here, here's, here's all this cash. You know, Ch Jacob comes out from around the carpenter shop, perhaps beyond the house, and he's like, what in the world is going on? And they, they load him up with all of these beautiful, expensive items. And, and Joseph doesn't know, but he's about to know in a few hours why they did this. God had this whole thing set in motion. And so after the Magi present their gifts and they leave, the Lord speaks to Joseph again 
and says, get up now, go, quickly. Within hours, perhaps, of them, the Magi leaving, the wise men leaving and rejoicing that they had laid their eyes on the Messiah, Joseph now takes up all this gold, frankincense, and myrrh. He bundles it up, hides it perhaps in some way, perhaps buys a couple of donkeys, and heads out towards Egypt. And there, for the next several years, he would raise little baby Jesus and had have the cash to perhaps buy a, a little place there in Egypt and perhaps start his own little craft shop there in Egypt. And he would take that provision, because he was a poor guy up until the wise men showed up, but he would take their provision that they gave in order to provide for little Jesus to, so they would survive. This is amazing how God looks out over us. He takes care of you. He knows when a sparrow falls from the ground to the ground. He knows the hairs on your head. He knows everything about you, and he takes care of his children. He takes care of those that, that see, that come, and that worship. And today, my challenge to you, my, my Christmas challenge to you, is will you see, will you come, and will you worship? Can we just bow our heads to, together for just a moment? Father God, we thank you that you've given us such a beautiful gift as your child. And that child grew up to be our Savior. That you loved us enough, Lord God, to save us. We thank you for what we have learned even from these wise men. That you reward true seekers. That wise men still seek you today. Today we commit ourselves afresh to seek after you. And to be faithful in our walk towards you. That redundant faithfulness is rewarded. <laughs> Passionate longevity is the key to finding the answers that we long for. We pray today, Lord, you'll stir our hearts to be givers, that we will think of others and we will think of you more than ourselves, that we will worship you with our mouths, we will worship you with our lips, we will worship you with our bodies, and we will worship you with our gifts that we have materially, that we will be generous people. And we thank you for that. In Jesus' name, amen. Man, so glad to have you with us today. Glad you could join us on Facebook. I trust you have a great Christmas. Remember, next Sunday, again, our Christmas um, celebration there at Sunday at the church, if you can make it. Love to have you with us. God bless you. Have a marvelous and wonderful day. Take care.